even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Executive Dr. Constantine, and uh, it's very appropriate to have Dr. King leading us into uh, this interview because Dow Constantine is the only chief executive of any municipality in the world named for Martin Luther King Jr. So welcome to Urban Forum Northwest, County Executive Constantine. And uh, just want to go ahead and allow you a few minutes to talk about your background, where you came from and where you're going. Well, Eddie, thank you so much for inviting me on. And what a auspicious bit of audio uh, for an introduction. I can't take credit though for the county being named after Dr. King. Uh, all honored to, uh, to Ron Sims and Bruce Lang, uh, former executive and council member and to uh, my good friend, Larry Gossett, uh, among many others who helped make that happen. Uh, but I, I do think it's a challenge to all of us every day to seek to understand what Dr. King was laying out as the future for this nation and, and to try to live up to those ideals in our own community. Uh, I, I, was, I was raised here in, in Seattle. Um, my uh, folks were public school teachers and I live in the same block where I was raised in West Seattle. Uh, gratefully, they are still with us in their 90s, but still with us. And my wife, Shirley, and I uh, are the parents of a very busy little seven-year-old girl. Uh, she's getting ready to start uh, second grade this fall. Uh, you know, it's been a really interesting trip here as county executive, because although it's a number of years, each term seems to have had kind of its own focus. In the first term, it was all about pulling the county out of the recession and getting people back to work and trying to find a way to balance the budget. And we managed to create AAA bond ratings for the county uh, and create a much more solid financial footing for the county. And then uh, it was about building the high capacity transit system the regions needed for 50 years. You'll, you'll remember when uh, the measures failed in 1968, 1970 to build a rail system. Well, I it took that as a sort of lifelong project, personal challenge. And uh, built over the course of 10 years, the consensus, the coalition, the funding plan, and ultimately got Sound Transit 3 passed in 2016. That was really a, a project that, that uh, took years and now we're building it and we're opening up to Northgate in just 44 days. And then now this, you are the chair of Sound Transit's board right now, correct? Uh, no, I'm the vice chair. I was the chair okay. for three years when we did that. And then this one term's obviously been all about COVID. For the last year and a half, it's been right. saving people's lives and trying to pull us out of that. So, you know, it's it's a fascinating job that I have, and it's uh, as broad as you can imagine. Uh, but I'm really pleased with the success we've been able to achieve by just uh, spending more time focused on getting the work done than trying to take credit for it. And uh, I'm, I'm real proud of the folks who work for us. 
Now, in terms of uh, this whole situation with COVID right now, uh, are your folks still working remotely? And with the upsurge of uh, the uh, Delta variant now, are folks going to be returning to office? If they're in office, are they going to be going back yeah. out? Yeah. So, uh, you know, first off, we were the first place in the country to have a major outbreak. And I had to fly back from a planned speech in Washington, D.C. to stand up with our public health director and announce to the world that this thing had landed here in the United States, this what became known as pandemic. But we responded by centering science and really kind of uh, managing the sorts of political conflicts that have defined the COVID response in other parts of the country. And by doing that, we uh, had much, much better outcomes. New York Times said that if the nation had followed our lead, more than 300,000 Americans who died in this pandemic would have been safe. Uh, so that is uh, a sobering thought. And as we head uh, further into this Delta variant upsurge, we have to keep that same focus on on a science-based and expert-based response. Now, for my own employees, we have about 15,000 or so employees at King County. We told them that uh, each department and division, they could plan on people coming back to work after the 4th of July. And that seemed all well and good around about the 4th of July. But now we're looking at uh, much, much higher transmission rates in our community. And even though our workforce has a very high rate of vaccination, uh, it is just not safe to require everyone to come back into the office. So we are taking a um, sort of stepwise approach. We're allowing departments and divisions to stay completely remote, or if they can safely have people in the office, particularly people who've been vaccinated, we're allowing that. But we are not going to precipitate anything that's going to increase uh, the circulation of this virus in our community. And although, you know, King County has the best vaccine rates about any place in the country, but that even with that, that still means that there are many thousands of people who are not protected at all. And that includes, of course, uh, everybody under the age of 12. So we're very concerned to make sure that people stay safe, that we get through this next upsurge and that we get to 100 percent vaccination, which is the thing that is going to ultimately allow us to get back to normal. Well, you got certain individuals like Ron DeSantis, uh, DeSantis and Greg Abbott. And uh, as a matter of fact, people getting threatened in various parts of the country who are school board members or educators because uh, they are making uh, the, a mass mandate or let them know that's the safest and most secure way for folks to, to open schools. But uh, I just feel sorry for the parents. Uh, you know, these kids going in, I don't know how they're going to come back. And I just... Uh, and it's unfortunate because yeah. I really hope in Washington State that we don't take any people in here with COVID that refuse to wear a mask or get vaccinated uh, because they're shopping people now from Louisiana and Alabama and Texas. They're yep. trying Florida. They're trying to find beds in other states. Yep. I just firmly believe, hey, if you didn't want to get a vaccination, if you don't want to wear a mask, then you need to stay where you are and hopefully something comes up for you. I hate to sound cruel, but, yeah. you know, you're, yeah. you're, 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 you're dictating your own poison. I mean, I understand what you're saying, and we are focused first and foremost on keeping people healthy, maintaining the hospital capacity here for the people who live here. And of course, we are not without uh, uh, empathy for those who become ill, even if it is owing in part to their own foolishness. Uh, you know, we're, we're, that is the 
the uh, right and moral thing to do is try to help people. But honestly, you can't just intentionally decide to expose yourself to danger and then expect everyone else to bail you out uh, when the inevitable happens. And that's what's going on with these states. They have these huge rates of infection, their hospitals are overflowing, and now suddenly it's everyone else's job to somehow ride to the rescue. Are we kidding? I want to switch subjects right quick because a lot of my uh, listeners also want to know about economic justice, economic opportunities, and just want to find out exactly where the county was in terms of, uh, you know, we've had, I know that I guess through uh, Tabor 100, Henry Yates and Ali Garrett's uh, support that there was a executive order signed by yourself, oh, yeah. which yeah. we've been trying to get the governor to sign. You know, we've been out without uh, affirmative action in Washington State for 23 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've been talking to some of my colleagues, some of my friends and some of the folks I support in the Congressional Black Caucus and a new chair and uh, a new uh, leader of the Civil Rights Division uh, for the Justice Department says whether there's I-200, the governor's uh, directive 98-01, with the numbers I'm looking at, that is discrimination. Mm-hmm. And then I had to let her know that, you know, a lot of folks are refuse to go in the black community, refuse to go in business because they see what, you know, when you see four black contractors go broke on the Seattle Tunnel Partners Project, and they were warned before they got, I remember the city council member Michael Bryan said, these people have a horrible record with minorities, and they also have a horrible record with municipalities. But sure enough, they were able to come in, they were out of compliance, Washington got them back into compliance, so you get another billion dollar contract. So those are some of the things that that we really need to look at because uh, uh, discrimination is being allowed to run rampant in the state. And a lot of people, even in government agencies, have said, oh, because of I-200, we don't have to be concerned with that. But when you just turn over all the stuff to the large company, the prime contractor, and there's no uh, no oversight, uh, things will go real bad in a hurry. So I just wanted to know, I know you signed uh, the executive order. And I, encourage others to do the same just want to find out what exactly uh and how is it being implemented and how's the results been so uh thank you for recognizing that i mean this is part but just part of our commitment to economic justice to building uh, economic capacity in uh black latino uh indigenous communities to making sure that we're using the buying power of the government, the amount of business that's being transacted by the government, not just to get the goods and services that the public needs, but to actually increase economic uh, opportunity for everyone in our community. And the executive order is aimed at removing barriers, at, at implementing innovative contracting methods, uh, to make it easier for minority-owned businesses to contract with King County. Now, in this region, uh, we have over $100 billion just in construction and design contracts in the pipeline over the course of the next couple of decades. Well, even a small part of $100 billion is enough business to help entrepreneurs build their companies, employ more people, create economic opportunity for a lifetime for thousands of people. And this is our goal. This is core to our mission. Uh, it is, I'll just give you a couple examples. I could go on forever, but you don't have forever. Uh, our contracting uh, requirements had uh, some sort of standard insurance uh, levels that were needed by the companies, regardless in many cases of the size of the project or the level of risk. 
So if you had a smaller company, if you're a black entrepreneur leaving your old job and starting your own business, you might not have the ability to have that level of insurance. So you couldn't get the deal. You couldn't get the contract. Um, we're changing that. And we have requirements that, for instance, your company had to have five years of experience doing the particular thing you're contracting for, which is fine, except what if all of the principals and employees have vast experience, but you have just started a new firm, maybe a Black-owned firm, maybe a firm that is primarily people of color doing professional services and contracting. Their individual experience can now count toward that so that it's not going to be an artificial barrier to getting business and building, uh, uh, building wealth. Uh, and one final thing. So Invest Starts for Kids, which I'm pleased to say just was renewed with 63% of the vote, our early childhood program. We set about very intentionally from the start to uh, contract with small community-based organizations, uh, Black, Latinx, Indigenous-led organizations, and help build them and not to cut the contract and then leave them hanging and wait for them to fail, but rather to follow with the technical assistance, the help they need in order to be able to grow and succeed. And that is the model we are going to follow in this county. And that's great to hear, County Executive Dow Constantine. Uh, the other thing, I want to switch subjects right quick. Now, we also have, have a collaboration of some folks uh, from India and uh, I would say African descendants of the United States enslaved, the black people who have been here 400 years, because we have to differentiate ourselves. We've been yep. trying to get the Congressional Black Caucus to have a federal designation for us, because mm -hmm. every time we have a lot of other people come in, blacks get left in the back all the time, no matter yep. who else is in the, in the picture. But uh, with the MLK Gandhi Empowered Initiative is uh, specifically set up to assist African descendants of the United States enslaved get a, the training they need to go into a middle-class job in the digital technology industry with all of the tech companies around here. We will not, however, discriminate against anyone else, but we want people who have uh, worked in the black community, know about our struggles and our issues, and they could be of another ethnic group. We know a lot of Asian and other folks and Filipinos and Latinos that, that I you know, grew up with uh, that would be more than uh, welcome as long as with other progressive whites that I know. But uh, we have some of the top experts in technology. I know that uh, it's being looked at right now by several entities. As a matter of fact, we made a, did a presentation uh, last week uh, for a representative of the Washington CEO Roundtable. And we've been talking to some of your folks. We're talking to everybody. Uh, because after 12 weeks of training, uh, and we had a, 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 with a conference yesterday, a Zoom conference with Congressman Bobby Scott, who's chair of the House Education mm -hmm. Labor Committee, mm -hmm. and I chair of the Legislative Education Committee, Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos, and uh, and uh, Ron Dixon, who has uh, spent over 20 years at Microsoft, is the president. I'm chair of the board. But in 12 weeks, we could be taking people to uh, these various technology companies, uh, going not from a trainee or an apprenticeship, but into a middle class position where right. they'll be making between 60 and 90,000. The next step, they're at six figures. Yeah. And uh, we're getting a lot of pushback because we heard one person say, why would I want to train blacks to make more money than me? We still have that mentality. What? So uh, I'm just I'm just saying it's, 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 it's not an accident. It's here. Sometimes people think out loud. Don't think anybody yeah, else well, is listening. I was going to say, they might be thinking that. I cannot believe somebody said that out loud. That is nuts. Yeah, in front of a Filipino friend of mine. But anyway, wow. uh, you know, but <laughs> who grew up in the black community. So <laughs> we all grew up together. 
back in those days because of redlining and racism. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that that's just uh, in addition to raising issues. And some people say you causing problems by asking for justice. I'm going to continue to cause it, make that good trouble because I see you with John Lewis on your your Zoom picture. Oh, here. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, all about the good trouble. So uh, but those are the kind of things that, you know, we have a lot of uh, our folks, African United States enslaved, who have these kind of ideas. But mm-hmm. getting the doors open is one thing, because about 12 weeks of training, people will have enough knowledge and information to start their own company if they want to. Microsoft uses over 700,000 subcontractors from around the world. And because of this cutoff of this H-1 visa, and we've, we're right here down the street anyway, and like I said, we've paid our dues for 400 years. As a matter of fact, 254 years for free. That was during slavery. And we're, we're the most patriotic group of people in America. And we also uh, have fought in every war. So, uh, you know, we deserve the opportunity. We're not putting any other minority group down, but we just have to talk about uh, where we are. And I really think it would be in everybody's best interest if all new immigrants gaining United States citizenship would have a history, have a a black history lesson, because black history is American history. Absolutely. And ever since you told me about the MLK Gandhi Empowerment Project, I've been going around talking to everybody about it because this is a direct answer to the question that we have always been asking, how with this enormously productive economy, can we still be leaving people behind? Well, a lot of it has been purposeful and structural and 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 baked into the way our society works, including here in Martin Luther King County. But now you have identified a very specific, tangible way to bridge across that gulf and connect people to the kind of economic opportunity that's going to allow them to do what everyone wants to do, which is provide for their families with, with an upside. This is not a dead end job. This is a job where you get in on the ground floor and the sky's the limit. And, and it takes 12 weeks, you said, of training. And, well, then you can, and then you can secure that job at Microsoft or another large technology company or even a smaller one. And just the sky's the limit. It is an amazing opportunity. And King County is all in on this. I am ready to go. We're certainly pleased to hear that, uh, County Executive Dow Constantine, and uh, we will be in touch. I want to thank you very much for your time today, and thank you for all the good work you're doing. Thank you, sir. Thanks for and having me. We look forward to seeing you Saturday, the 28th, to the welcome at the 58th anniversary commemorating the 1963 March on Washington. 58 years ago, we're fighting the same thing now. As I say, uh, the most significant August 28th since 19, August yeah. 28th, 1963. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for the invitation. Uh, it is uh, just so disconcerting, so maddening to see what's going on all around this country with voter suppression and disenfranchisement of people who have fought so hard to to ha- take their rightful place uh, in in running this country. It's just outrageous. Thank you very much, County Executive Dow Constantine. We will be in touch. Thank you. Okay, uh, Eric, do we go to Dr. King or do we have uh, Congresswoman? Uh, Marilyn Strickland on the line yet? Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland, how are you? I'm fine, Eddie. How are you doing? Okay, if I'd have known you there, I'd have said, say hello to County Executive Dow Constantine, who just made a hey, fabulous Dow commitment. Con- to- hey, Dow Constantine. <laughs> <laughs> he just made a, fa- a fantastic uh, a commitment to our community, so I'm glad to hear that. Now, uh, uh, Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland, for lo- those of you who don't know, was a former mayor of Tacoma for two terms, very popular. And uh, she won the seat in the 10th district, had all kinds of competition. 
But because of her stellar performance as mayor, people knew who she was and they gave her their vote of confidence. And she ends up on uh, a committee that everybody's watching, uh, that uh, Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, uh, which my friend Congressman Hank Johnson out of DeKalb, Georgia, says, you're a new member up there from the 10th, that Marilyn Strickland, she came in like a seasoned veteran. I said, well, Congressman, she was a mayor, a very successful mayor for eight years, but you are getting very high marks, Congresswoman Strickland. Just want to let you know that. Oh, well, thank you for that compliment. And, you know, and I tell folks that I may be a freshman in Congress, but I am not a rookie when it comes to politics and getting things done. And so it's been a very productive 200 days. As you know, Eddie, it's been very challenging. But I want, you know, your listeners to know that we are working hard every day under the leadership of some very, very seasoned people to deliver for the American people. And it's hard to believe that it's already been 200 days. Yeah, you know, uh, and uh, everything blew up, uh, I guess, with uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. It's kind of taken the focus off quite a few issues. And uh, I realize there's some serious problems there, but uh, uh, folks in my community are having serious problems, too. So I want to make sure we turn some attention to that as well. But... Uh, you know, a lot's been said about uh, the infrastructure bill, and I would like to t for you to take a few minutes and just clarify exactly what's in it. When does it, uh, is it still in the House, or has it been, uh, we had two, one for 1.2 trillion or something like that, and another one for 3.5. So if you could yeah. let our listeners distinguish the two and let us know what the intent of both of them are, it would be great. No, thank you for that, Eddie. So right now, there are two bills that are in play. One is the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And if you think about what we call traditional infrastructure, roads, bridges, sewer systems, water systems, and they put broadband in that category, which is actually good because a lot of communities do not have access to broadband. So that's what I call traditional infrastructure. And then there's the larger bill that is you know, over $3 trillion, which deals with what I believe is actually just as, if not more important, and that is what I call the caregiving and human services infrastructure. And for a lot of us, Eddie, you know, there are people who are not going back into the workforce because the cost of child care or elder care, right? Caring for our youngest and caring for our eldest is just cost prohibitive. We don't respect those professions. People who work in those professions should be paid more. And so this is really about what we call the human services or caregiving infrastructure. It includes affordable housing. It includes paid family leave. It includes those things that are basic essentials that allow people to fully participate in the economy. And I know that there's been some stuff in the news that says, well, we have to do this first or that first. And what I tell people is that Nancy Pelosi, who's the Speaker of the House, is an OG. She is seasoned and she knows what she's doing. And I have confidence that we're going to be able to pass both to give Republicans a chance to say I voted for the bipartisan bill and to give Democrats the comprehensive forward-thinking, progressive bill that we need to make sure that every person, especially our community, gets to fully participate in the economy. And uh, last week I had uh, Representative Bass. She, she has all the time she needed, but she's also mentioning this uh, child tax credit. Now, that's yes. separate and apart from the other bills we're talking about right now. That's already in effect, right? It is, Eddie. So when we passed the American Rescue Plan, part of it included a child tax credit. And depending on the age of your children and the size of your family, you're getting up to $300 a month in advance to help pay for basic expenses. And this is a really big deal because just in the 10th district alone, if every family that's eligible to get the child tax credit takes advantage of it, we will lift 
thousands of families out of poverty. And that will apply to 70% of the families just in the 10th Congressional District of Washington State alone. And so it's a very big deal. It's another way that we are working hard to get cash into the hands of families and the people who need it most. But also, you know, it's, it's another way for us to demonstrate that when government does its job, when it's led by competent people who care about the folks at home, we can actually do good things and we can help our families and our, in, our, in our communities. Now, my next question is, will they be able to vote? Well, let's talk about that, shall we? So, you know, of all the things that we have going on, and, you know, there's so much happening right now. In my opinion, nothing is more crucial than voting rights. And Terry Sewell, who is my colleague from Alabama, introduced the H.R. 4, which is the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And what that does is a few things. There is a system of voter suppression and doing everything that they can to disenfranchise voters in certain states. And there is evidence that there's a history of doing it. And what this will do is it's a legal concept called preclearance. So that any time a state wants to change voting laws or voting rules, it has to be approved by the federal government first. And that really what it does is it brings back part of the original Voting Rights Act to ensure that we're not engaging in racial discrimination, that we're not disenfranchising voters. And as you know, voter suppression, because let's be honest here, there is a party that realizes that if all the people of color, if all the African-Americans, if all the black and brown and BIPOC people show up and vote, their chances go down. And so this is a way for us to address issues around, you know, around who gets to participate, making sure that the vote, the right to vote is intact. And, you know, I tell folks that, you know, John Lewis fought his whole life for voting rights. And so at a minimum, we need to respect and honor his legacy and pass House Resolution Number 4. Well, uh, to that end, on uh, Saturday, August 28th, uh, the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee will be holding uh, observance of the uh, 58th anniversary of the 1963 March on Washington uh, for the same things we're fighting for right now. Uh, So that will be held at the Martin Luther King Memorial Park, Civil Rights Park on Martin Luther King Way in Seattle, 5.30 to 7. So I want to extend an invitation to you if you happen to be around during that time to come by and grace some of the folks because you have a lot of you're a role model to a lot of young sisters, and it would be good for to have them see you. Uh, we're going to be masking down this outside. Uh, I just I cancel food trucks. We don't make going to have nothing like that. But uh, <laughs> we do want to observe because it's so important that people understand what the, the our history has been in fighting for voting rights. So, uh, but I just wanted to find out uh, other issues that, that you might have on your plate to discuss. Yeah, you know, I mean, I will tell you, Eddie, you know, as the only African-American member of Congress, not just from Washington State, but from the Pacific Northwest, I am acutely aware that my responsibility extends beyond the 10th District of Washington State. And I am joyfully and proudly taking on that. And so, you know, we're still working on police reform. We are very hopeful. You had Karen Bass on, so she probably told you about this. You know, what's happening in the Senate right now with the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, hoping that Senators Booker and Scott are going to be able to bring something forward so that we can get a lot of important police reform police reform actions taken. So, I, so that's important to us. I was a co-sponsor of the Federal Death Penalty Abolition Act because we know that too many people sitting on death row that represent our communities are wrongfully accused. And with DNA coming out now, we're finding out that mm. there are people who are actually innocent, and we're, and we're able to prove that. And then yeah, after they were after they killed them. Yeah, totally, totally. That's that's really that's really sad. That's no, really it's, sad. It's, it's tragic, and you know, and I think for me, I mean, you know, this 
I was, you know, I wrote a piece for the medium and it talked about economic justice and how that was really Dr. King's dream toward the end as he was talking about why that was important. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's about economic security. It's about recognizing that because those of us who are descendants of the enslaved were promised and denied land grants after the Civil mm-hmm. War, intergenerational wealth has been an issue for us. And so what That's can right. we do to bridge those gaps? Support and we had a thousand elected and appointed officials then too. Yes, so it with the forty eight, with the forty acres and all that power positions, and we were more was more of us than whites down there at that time. So yeah. so we were we would have been living a good life for the last couple hundred years. But uh, the uh, the other thing I was going to ask you in, in terms of the infrastructure bill, yes. is it going to be the same old thing where the large white companies get the contracts, then they decide who else works? Will there be any mechanism set up to ensure? that African descendants of the United States enslaved participate and get their money directly instead of getting messed over by these large contractors, large businesses? That's well, been a serious... Think, that's, that's why we haven't had any growth. No, I mean, and you are absolutely right, Eddie. And, you know, one thing that I've been able to do... So I am the vice chair of a subcommittee on transportation and infrastructure. And Chair Donald Payne and I, with the signatures of every single member of the Congressional Black Caucus, sent a letter to Secretary Pete Buttigieg and we asked him to please do a disparity study because there is federal railroad administration money that we don't even have access to. So we are beating the drum very loudly about access, opportunity. If we are going to make these massive investments in infrastructure, there is no excuse for any of our small businesses or people on our supply chain to be left out of this. And uh, Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland, I'm sure glad you are on the case because we had to adopt uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, Karen Bass, and and uh, and others from California to be our representative. Now we have our own representative of the Congressional Black Caucus, and she's getting very high marks from her constituents uh, in Congress in D.C. So thank you very much. If you do get a chance to around Seattle on August 28th, you might want to come on by and uh, say hello. Okay, I will let you know if we can come. I will send you a text message. And as always, Eddie, thank you for having me here, and thank you to the audience. And I love coming on Urban Forum. Thank you so much. We appreciate you, Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Okay, uh, Eric, we'll go to a break and come back with Lim Howell after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.com. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Live Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. 
Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Easy on the ears, good for the soul. Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, Eddie Rye back at Urban Forum Northwest. Uh, once again, let me give a shout out to uh, award-winning Mian Rice, uh, who is the director of the Port of Seattle's uh, Diversity Contracting Office, Leslie Jones, the chief of labor and uh, at Sound Transit, along with John Tay Robinson, who's over the Civil Rights Division, uh, Liz Alzier at the, uh, Seattle's uh, Purchase and Construction Services Office, uh, Stephanie Ogle does our website, and my friends out at SeaTac, SeaTac Rock Group LLC, and Consports and Sessions, uh, world class attorney Lem Howe, freedom fighter for decades. He didn't realize that he would have to do the freedom fight again just to vote. But uh, uh, attorney Lem Howe, why don't you uh, take a minute or two and share some of your history with some of the listeners that don't know you as well as I do? I really guess my start was with Larry Ward back in 1970 when he was shot and killed over by Hardcastle Realty. From then, I was involved with the uh, uh, Central Contractors Association, Tyree Scott, getting blacks in the, uh, the construction industry. And then I've had over 14 or 15 of these police shooting cases, you know, and we didn't have cameras in those days, so it was a he said, she said situation. The only benefit we had was an honest medical examiner then donald ray who called the shots the way they see him he saw them like the eddie anderson case uh, who was killed by an officer with a gun n- nozzle uh 12 to 18 inches from his adam's apple and uh, that testimony came directly from donald ray but his successor has not uh been the same for example if he found an iota of uh drugs in the system it it was <coughs> uh excited delirium or some nonsense like that but don't get me started on that Eddie. no okay no because well, we want to uh, turn quickly to uh the struggle our struggle to have to retain our voting rights and you being an attorney, you studied the cases. So why don't you just break down where we are now? It said okay. uh, uh, let, uh, the Voting let, Rights Act is being gutted, let, and there have been some me, cases. Go right me, ahead. Okay, so let me tell tell you that the key the key was amendment to the Constitution, Amendment 15 in 1870, right after the Civil War, that provided that the uh, citizens of the United States, their right to vote should not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. That meant slavery, right? But then it said right in Section 2 that the Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Well, I don't think folks give enough credit to LBJ. 
Uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson passed the 1965 Civil Rights Act, and one of the key elements of this act was the uh, the pre-clear uh, uh, new new voting rules had to have clearance from the Justice Department. And the act was renewed, I don't know how many times, by overwhelming majorities in Congress. But then along came uh, the Chief Justice now, and in the Shelby County versus Holder case, he, uh, he gutted that section from the statute. So now they, the, the states and uh, do not have to have preclearance. Those, those states that had been guilty of racial discrimination and they were identified, had to have preclearance. Now that is not, that was gutted. The Supreme Court was substituting its findings for the, because it's no longer necessary. Did that. People don't realize that people died on marches and, and, and voting. Uh, we remember the three civil rights workers. In Goodman, Cheney, and Swerner. Yes, who were registering uh, uh, people, and they were killed. So blood was shed for for this, not just them. People were beaten. We know that uh, John Lewis was beaten, uh, along with others, uh, uh, on their marches to secure uh, uh, civil rights. It was uh, Mark, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. who gave us this power to NJ so he could pass it by the Selma March. And anyway, uh, it had always been accepted. And then uh, uh, now the Supreme Court, and I hate to say the six to three, is just decimating it. But one thing they cannot take away. You see, they could always say Congress doesn't have the power to do this. Well, the amendment to the Constitution provides Congress shall have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. So uh, I think, you know, after this, we may have to look about uh, increasing the number of uh, uh, justices on the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. But uh, before we get this, we but we have to be strategic. A lot of good progressives are talking about well, voting rights is so imperative, we've got to get rid of the filibuster and so forth. No, no, no. Let's take care of this, of this infrastructure stuff that they have and then exempt, exempt the Voting Rights Act uh, or, or the, uh, the, uh, the House Bill Number 1 and Senate Bill Number 1. You know, just exempt that from the uh, uh, filibuster. You don't have to get rid of the filibuster. I mean, it stops a lot of stuff, like uh, like uh, 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 gun, uh, you know, reasonable gun laws and so forth. It stops that awful lot of stuff. But when uh, uh, the minority leader was in there, he exempted appointments to the Supreme Court from the filibuster rule. Well, that's all we have to do with the uh, with voting rights, and we can do that. But just let's just keep our britches on. You know, right. I, these people that say these moderates that say, well, they won't vote for the uh, the other bill unless they vote for the Senate the bill that the Senate passed. Just I don't know how the the uh, uh, speaker 
is able to herd cats uh, with, with, with so many damn Democrats going off in a million different uh, directions. Just keep calm. Get the yeah, infrastructure well, out of the way and then exempt the, vo- the, the uh, voting rights bill from the filibuster and you have it made. Just, just, just okay. be, you know, strategic okay, well, we- in your thinking. Well, maybe Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland is uh, listening. She was just on a minute ago. But, Lim, you know, uh, on August uh, 28th is the 58th anniversary of the historic 1963 March on Washington for freedom and justice. And uh, that march you mentioned earlier is what led to us having LBJ, uh, Linda, President Lyndon B. Johnson, signing the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act of 65. So on uh, August 28th at 530 uh, the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee is sponsoring an event at the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Civil Rights Park on Martin Luther King Way in Seattle uh, to have uh, uh, folks recommit themselves, rededicate themselves uh, to justice and equality and our right to vote. And uh, so good. we're going to keep that on the front burner, that's, as you know. That's good. I was be the original march on Washington. I was a law student at NYU working in the summer for the Securities and Exchange Commission. And I didn't tell them I was taking the day off because they may not have allowed it. I just went on the march. We took a bus down with some social workers from New York. And uh, uh, my brother was with a guardian. He was a police officer. He was one of the monitors at the, at the uh, march. But uh, a friend of mine and uh, uh, his girlfriend, who later became his wife, went on the march, and we got up right up front in the march, uh, right before the Lincoln Mon- Monument. And uh, okay. that was that was fabulous. Well, 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 well Lim, I tell you what, what I like to do is, uh, uh, can you tell that story in three to five minutes on Saturday, August 28th? We need to hear from yes, someone who was actually yes, there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, then. Well, I may call Hayward and let him tell him to put you on the program. So, Lim Howe, thank Good. you very much, brother. We appreciate all you've done. We look forward to seeing you uh, uh, on uh, August 28th at 5.30 at the MLK Park. And at your event that you and uh, uh, Miss Pat, your your wife, hosted, uh, I've been around that many judges, Bo, and uh, I'm glad that they didn't have black robes on. <laughs> okay, sir. <laughs> All right, Eddie. Thank you. Okay, then. We'll talk to you. Thank you very much. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, Eric, uh, Eric, have we got any Martin Luther King we can hear for a minute or two? All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right.
Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Going our own way every day. Alternative Talk 1150. I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around. We aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. what will happen now we've got some difficult days ahead but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop I don't mind like anybody I would like to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Okay, Eddie, right back in Urban Forum Northwest. We're playing Martin Luther King Jr. We want you to hear him. You're going to hear him this week. You'll hear him next week because this is one of the most significant August 28th since August 28, 1963. Before there was a Civil Rights uh, uh, Act passed in 1964 and a Voting Rights Act passed in 1965. And folks all across the country are taking it in their own hands 
uh, to usurp uh, the authority of uh, the founders and also of the Constitution. But uh, we got to have some folks who call themselves Democrats to step up uh, to the plate and uh, move this thing past the filibuster because uh, our rights need to be protected. I mean, how would you feel if you were a brother or sister in South Korea, Japan, Germany, or somewhere with the United States military uniform on, and one of those people come and say, why are you over here? Uh, you can't even vote in, in your own country. So anyway, is Bob Armstead joined us? Uh, yes, Eddie, I'm here. Okay, okay, Bob, okay. So, you know, we've been, uh, I don't know if you heard the program, but we've been uh, doing some talking about uh, the August 28th event. And also, uh, uh, you know, we had a, uh, a call with uh, Rochelle Davis and Sherry uh, Sawyer from the governor's office on last Friday. And uh, I thought it was a very productive conversation. And uh, also I talked to uh, uh, Liz over the director of the Office of Women and Minority, Minority and Women Business Enterprise. And I was pleased with the report, but like the old saying goes, the proof is in the pudding. And uh, so I just wanted to hear your assessment of where you see things right now uh, with state agencies without having affirmative action and without really having any solid commitments like we deserve my first guest, County Executive Dow Constantine, uh, I signed a uh, executive order. And I have to give credit to uh, Henry Yates and Ollie Garrett, Table 100, for supporting that endeavor. So go right ahead, Bob. Yeah, and Eddie, actually, I listened to your whole program, and kudos to Dow. Uh, what we are pursuing with the state, if the state would do what Dow has done, uh, it would take care of our concerns. Uh, it would take care of the situation that has been created by 23 years of not having affirmative action in the state of Washington. And there are several uh, projects and ob objectives that have been going on for the last few years attempting to uh, get affirmative action back into uh, to Washington State, uh, including Referendum 88 and I-1000 that, uh, for whatever reason, uh, did not pass. But in the process of, of going through those uh, endeavors, it became apparent to a number of us that there was a better, more direct way of accomplishing uh, what we needed to accomplish. And as part of that review process with yourself and Jesse Weinberry and uh, Lyle Quaysem and a bunch of others, uh, Attention was drawn to uh, the, um, what is it, referendum uh, 9801. Uh, governor's directive. You know, uh, directive. Governor, yeah, Governor's directive 98-01. 98-01, uh, which was the directive that was given to state employees as to how to implement the passage of I-200. And it, it is very obvious to all of us that have looked at it, and probably would be to anyone else who would take the time to look, that the directive uh, overstated the intent of I-200. So one of our efforts, and the effort that we think would cause the least amount of work to accomplish our goal, 
uh, would be for that directed uh, to either be superseded, overturned, or whatever the proper uh, term is uh, for the state of Washington. And that would uh, or could require a, uh, an executive order from the, uh, the governor of the state uh, correcting uh, a problem that was created by misinterpretation of the intent of, uh, of I-200. Uh, in that regard, we have had a number of meetings with uh, representatives from the, uh, from the governor's office uh, talking about all of these different uh, processes that uh, have been put in place to, uh, to remedy uh, the effects of I-200. And the, again, the ones that we're pushing that could cause the fastest turnaround would be an executive order uh, from the governor uh, correcting uh, Directive uh, 9801, and we are believing that as a result of, of our conversations that those things are uh, being looked at with the intent of, of having some action uh, in the near future. Uh, we have not been given specific uh, information about uh, days and time. But the, the conversation was such that we believe that, uh, that progress is being made and that we anticipate that there will be um, news, a wording, or announcement uh, to that effect, uh, hopefully in, in the next couple of weeks. It sure uh, would be we, good to have it on the August 28th of uh, uh, next week uh, for that uh, anniversary of the commemorating the 1963 March on Washington, D.C. for jobs and freedom, uh, it would be perfect uh, for them to have that announcement there. So, uh, but uh, Bob, that, that would I'm be glad that you were able to... timing, Eddie, and that, uh, I, I, I will take that as a suggestion to request that. Okay, so we'll yeah, suggest that to the governor's office. That'd be a good good time to have them announce it at that event. So that, that keeps, like Jesse Jackson say, that keeps hope alive. So, but Bob, thanks anyway, man. Thank you for all the work you've been doing. And uh, uh, we'll be talking to you about uh, this Saturday event for August 28th. 58 years later, we're fighting for the same thing we did in August 28th, 1963. Thanks, Bob Armstead. Washington Civil okay. Rights Coalition. Talk to you soon. Thank you. And Eric says that I'm out of time. And this has been Eddie Rye with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. And we'll be talking with you again. Uh, next Thursday, you can hear us on 7 o'clock on Saturday morning. And also, you can hear this program on Alexa. Thanks, Eric. Have a good weekend.